Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. everyone another episode of feather and fur your host brad hurlbus and tonight we have on dan course dan welcome hey what's up brad oh you know it's another night get trying to in wisconsin trying to get out of those winter blues waiting for lakes to open up to get back on the water and get back into that springtime groove let's get to that point where winter's getting long yeah there you go there you go i i, I miss summertime myself already <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I either want summer or I want fall. I don't care about the spring, the, the spring and, and winter too much, but I want summer or fall. Agreed. My wife is a big skier, so I wouldn't want to deprive her of winter. But like I could skip spring. Like we could just elongate summer and fall, keep winter short, and just make a long summer and fall and skip spring. I'm good with that. There you go. <laughs> so I like to start my show pretty pretty similarly because i just think it's a great way to get to learn a guest i'm just curious like i know you're big time i know you're a big fan of the outdoors and different aspects of it so i'm just wondering how you got into it did you get into that growing up was it a family tradition did you, did you just kind of stumble into it yourself you know i started at a pretty young age i was about uh seven or eight years old i started asking my my father if if he'd take me hunting take me fishing and stuff like that you know, I do a little bit of fishing already, you know, with my grandma and stuff, because uh, at the time she didn't like, she didn't like to uh, touch earthworms and night crawlers. So she'd have me dig them up and get her a bucket full. And then she'd let me go fishing with her. But then I really wanted to go with my dad and hang out with the men. So about seven or eight, I started asking, you know, hey, can I go hunting with you and my uncles and so forth? And eventually, he let me go. And the first time I went, I actually didn't have a firearm. He just let me go, right? He he said he wasn't gonna invest in boots and 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 long johns or or any hunting gear, nothing camouflaged until he knew I liked it, right? So sure. here I was like seven, eight years old out in the woods, and I had like, I don't know, like Spider-Man underwear on underneath some jeans or something because he wouldn't buy me, wouldn't buy me long johns, you know. And right. Anyway, though, uh, it was it was about small game hunting then. And uh, after, after he saw I was really interested in it, he started upgrading me with gear. And then I remember I was I was nine years old and at Christmas he bought me a shotgun. It was it was a single shot uh, 410 shotgun. And I, I thought I was I thought I was a top dog and I was ready to go slaughter the world, you know. That changed the game right there. That changed everything. Cause now I mean a 410 shotgun single shot opens up a lot, especially for a kid like squirrels, rabbits, all that's fair game. I mean that's right. Ducks. I mean, you can do ducks with a 410. I don't know if you did, but I mean I know guys that, that do ducks with a four. I mean, it opens up like everything. It really other than deer, well, but I mean it opens up like everything. Yeah, actually, I'll tell you what, 
So before then, you know, everybody has a little pellet gun or BB gun or whatever. And I, you know, shot birds and squirrels and stuff around the house. And I grew up in the city, right? Not a big city, but a city down south. I grew up in uh, Mississippi, right? Jackson, Mississippi. And, uh, you know, we had squirrels and stuff like anywhere in in America, right? Everybody has squirrels. But uh, when I got that shotgun, I was ready for the woods and the outdoors and, you know, the squirrels, the rabbits. You're, you're exactly right. Dove, you know, uh, upland birds like um, like quail or anything. You know, we, we went after it all back then, right? And eventually, I actually even used that 410 deer hunting. Uh, but right. I, was sh- I was shooting slugs, right? They made little sure. 410 slugs. And uh, I never killed a deer with, with that with that shotgun. But to this day, my, my father still has that shotgun. Uh, it's not in the same shape it was when I when he gave it to me, but it's we, he still has it. But that that just really excited me and got the juices flowing. And I never really stopped since then. Nice. So you got your four ton shotgun chasing all the different critters you could. What did yep. you, what, where did you start to, where'd your passion start to go? Cause I mean, fall is short. We know that we already said that. And mm-hmm. it's really hard to chase. Like, like I'm a bird hunter, like, but because, because I'm a bird hunter and because my dog's sitting back there behind me sleeping, I mean, I feel guilty when I'm out sitting in a tree stand. So we're all chasing birds. It's upland mm-hmm. birds in October. It's ducks in November, other than a quick one week break for me to go fill my freezer during gun deer season. So you can't, I, I had to choose and kind of figure out where my passion was. So I'm curious to know, as you grew up in this, like, where did your passion start to take you? Like, did you go towards big game? Did you go towards birds or small game? Or like, did you kind of like go back and forth? And was it like just a twisted road of like throughout the woods? So probably for like up until I was about 12 or 13, we hunted and fished, right? We'd start with, uh, you know, squirrel season in the early fall. Uh, we go into deer season and then we finish with rabbit season, right? We'd be hunting like January, February after deer season, we'd be hunting uh, rabbits with beagles. My dad, my dad, my uncle, a couple of family friends, they all owned a few beagles and we ran them as a pack, right? Like everybody had two or three beagles and we, we'd have a blast. That's a lot of fun, right? But anyway, and once hunting season was over, you know, you get a little bit of break. And then you're, we'd start fishing down south, right? Crappie, bluegill, mix in a little bass. And then eventually the summer would come and we kind of kind of slow down in the summer. So that went on from like about the age of eight to like about the age of 13. And then at 13, my father bought me a 20-gauge shotgun, right? So now, right. now we were able to step up a little bit more, right? So now I could shoot... I don't know if you're familiar with uh, big game deer hunting down south, but in Mississippi, even to this day, they still run dogs, right? You can run, you can hunt deer with dogs. So right? I know you can, I've never experienced it, but I'd love to, I like, I definitely want to hear about that. Like, I want to dig in there. Like, I know we're on like a roll, but I really want to hear some, like, that's gotta be different. Like, so like, how's that? Like I've, I've hunted, I've, I've hunted with bear dogs. I've ran bear dogs in spring during like in, not spring, mm-hmm. but in like early fall for training. I've, mm-hmm. um, we've ran dogs. I've been on hog hunts where guys are running dogs. Like I understand how like, like the hounds work and like the catch dog, like all of that. Like I get, but I've never, I don't understand how it works for deer. Like, with deer. Yeah. Yeah. So the way it generally works is, uh, the South is also popular for having clubs, right? And basically a club is like, you know, 10 guys or five guys or 20 guys, and you're all buddies and you might chip in at least some property or whatever you're gonna hunt, right? And um, the way it works is you would say you have 10 guys you, you, you and you're gonna, you know, surround this 40 acre plot, right? And there are deer all in, inside this plot, you, you suspect. So you line guys around each side, you kind of lie in the perimeter, and then you get one or two guys that work the dogs. We call them kind of like the dog man. And he's gonna drive, just like they have man drives, you know, All right. probably, probably in Wisconsin and other other places. He's gonna but he's gonna it's gonna be that one or two guys with the dogs, you know, say five, six dogs, whatever it is, 
and they're gonna jump deer in the G they're gonna they're gonna bust deer out and they're gonna take whatever evacuation routes they can to elude this pressure. And you have these perimeter hunters that are the, the shooters. And basically, but you're spread out. Don't don't get me wrong, you're spread out like maybe you might be a hundred yards to like a quarter mile, just depending on the terrain. And for safety reasons, the clubs I was always in, you use shotguns only. That's why my progression was, you know, eventually to like a 20 gauge shotgun as a 13 as a year old boy, right? And you're using buckshot because the distance and so forth like that. And you strategically place people to protect them for safety, but also give them opportunity to shoot these deer as the dogs run them out, you know? And uh, anyway, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, because, but all, all the other hunting principles apply. You gotta be quiet. You gotta try not to move because sometimes you may see deer that have been spooked, but the dogs aren't running those deer. So they're still moving through with all the uh, senses that they have and they're on high alert, right? So you're still trying to, you know, how we might hunt today when you're, when you're still hunting or spotting and stalking or tree stand hunting, whatever it is, you're gonna be quiet and, and so forth. About the only thing that didn't matter back then was scent control. We had <laughs> absolutely <laughs> no scent control, right? But anyway, that's a, that's a whole nother story and rabbit hole. But anyway, I started doing that and, you know, you hear the hounds running and barking and man, it is such an adrenaline rush and you hear the deer coming long before they come. The only problem that, that I had with it is those deer, are hauling tail they are not sure. if, if the dogs are on them on them they are running full speed you know they might take a break and look back and sometimes you don't know that the the dogs are running that particular deer because they've distanced themselves from the dog so much especially if you're using beagles or smaller hounds right you could use bigger hounds like walkers or blue ticks and black and tans and some of those things but but they almost push the deer too fast, right? The beagles kind of like push them just enough where you can get some decent shots, but the deer keeps a good distance. Maybe he might be 10, 15 minutes ahead of the dogs, you know? But anyway, that's that's how I started that. And um, that was so exciting. Eventually, I didn't want to, I didn't want to fish. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to uh, rabbit hunt. I only wanted to deer hunt. It was it was just such an adrenaline rush, and this, you know, the quarry is so big that it was just exciting to me. That's awesome! Like that's so that's super cool. Like, and I, I now it really clicks and makes sense because you explained how it works. Like it's more like because I've been part of like deer drives are a lot of long-standing tradition in Wisconsin, and we right, do the same right. thing. We set up blockers, only we're not using dogs; we're using people, and it's normally. Right. It's normally the new people to the group that wind up and like most of the time, like in all of the drives I was in, the drivers never had guns. Mm -hmm. The guys walking weren't allowed to carry a gun. It was just the guys that were posted up on the outside were the only ones would for a safety standpoint. Right. So I completely like now it all clicks and I understand how you're actually using dogs. Yeah, it's just like a drive except with dogs. I get it. I get it. And we're able to use dogs in Wisconsin for tracking. So we can use mm -hmm. tracking dogs, but they have to be on a leash. So completely yeah, different yeah. use of dogs. Right. Right. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it's like um, down South now, but we're not allowed to use buckshot, buckshot either. Buckshot's illegal yeah. for deer hunting. Right. I think you can still use it in Mississippi. I, I don't know about, right. I don't know about Texas, you know, quite honestly, I haven't hunted, you know, deer with a firearm and got 20, 25, over 25 years. So I don't always pay attention to all those rules. I'm I primarily archery hunt now. Sure. So, um, yeah, sometimes I feel like such an idiot because I don't follow all of the, the gun laws related to hunting. And then I was like, man, I, I can I have friends that rifle hunt or what have you. And it's like, man, I wish I could tell you, I can look it up and figure it out for you, but. <laughs> I, I just don't know. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I guess we kind of alluded to where your passion ended up. I mean, so you, so archery is what really lit the fire in you then. Right, right. So as I, as I became, say, like 
about uh, 20 years old, right? I graduated college, moved back home, and uh, I was working with some guys and uh, at, at my job, you know, in my profession. And I found out that uh, one of the guys was a, a, a archery, a bow hunter. And so I was like, oh, man, I, that's intriguing. Tell me all about it. I was like, your season starts a little early, right? You know, because rifle season in Mississippi was like mid-November, late November, right? When it, How long when it did it run for? How long? Just curious. I, how long? You, you would go from like uh, mid-November, right before Thanksgiving, through about um, like a little after, maybe a week into the new year. Maybe a week oh, in, wow. in January or something like that. So, and I'm always curious because it seems like a lot of states have far longer gun seasons. Like in Wisconsin mm-hmm. here, we get our like we get a 10 day firearm season. So mm-hmm. that starts the weekend before Thanksgiving and ends the Sunday of Thanksgiving. We roll into then a seven day muzzle loader season. And then if you're not in a metro area or an area where you can shoot does, you're done. Mm-hmm. Your gun season is done. But if you are in like a doe area, then we have some arch ant- antlerless only specific hunts. So there's one like that rolls right. right after, right after art or archery, right after muzzleloader, and then we have a holiday one for the same thing. But if you're not in an area where it, it's authorized, I mean, you're if you're in Northwoods of Wisconsin, you get ten days with a rifle and you get seven days with a muzzleloader, and you're done. Like, yeah. So, so that time from from mid mid November through January. There's like maybe uh, a two week with dogs then like one week. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And that's buck only, let's say. And then you might get a weekend that stows and then no dogs for another week. Then you get a muzzleloader thrown in there. And then you go back to, to rifle and shotgun again, you know. So it kind of, right. it's kind of in and out, but the but the overall range is like mid mid November to January, a little after January. Got it. And so anyway, I, I met this guy at work, and he was telling me he was a bow hunter, and I was like, really? I, and I'm thinking it's it's the most difficult thing in the world, right? So I was like, man, how many how many deer did you kill with with your bow last year? Then and he said, oh, about thirty. I was like, thirty? I was like, what are you talking about? He said, yeah. I was like, how did you kill 30 deer with a bow? He's like, man. So at the time, this is this is probably 1995, maybe, four or five. He says, well, I get like three bucks and unlimited does. Like you, you can kill unlimited does. And he said, so archery started, you know, October 1st or thereabouts. He said, man, I go sit in the persimmon tree every day after work. I get off at three o'clock. I can be in the tree by four o'clock. Now I'll sit there until it gets dark and get three or four does, shoot one. They run off 30 minutes later. Some more come back. I shoot another. 
I said, what are you doing with all this meat? He said, oh, man, I give it to the church, family, friends, you know. He's like, I just enjoy being out there. So if you do that two or three days a week and you do it for like six weeks, you, you can kind of get there, you know. I was like, oh, That's man. So in my mind, I'm like, God, I could I could have a lot of fun. I could start hunting so much earlier. So I bought a bow. I bought my first bow off another guy that worked with us. And uh, the first guy that killed all the deer, he got me set up. He had like a bow press. He had all this stuff at home in his garage. And all of that was foreign to me, right? I was like, sure. what in the world? And um, he he he, uh, he got me set up. And he once he finished, he kind of showed me how to shoot and blah, blah, blah. And he says, go to the bow shop and ask to speak to this guy, so-and-so. And he said, tell him I sent you over there and have him to paper tune your bow, right? I said, okay, whatever that means, right? So I go there. The guy's name was Kenneth. He said, tell Kenneth that I sent you. This guy's name, Joe. Tell Kenneth that Joe sent you. So I go there. I see Kenneth. And Kenneth says, oh, yeah, I know Joe. You work with Joe? I was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And so he's like, man, this is a pretty good bow. This bow looks familiar. And then I was like, really? He said, yeah, I used to have one just like it. He said, matter of fact, I sold it to a guy named Skipper that works with Joe. <laughs> And I was like, really? I said, that's who I bought this bow from with Skipper. That's his nickname. He said, I bought this from Skipper. He said, man, this is my old bow. So the bow tech at the shop, I, I have his bow now. I'm saying, hey, check it out. So he shoots it through the paper. He's like, man, I can't. And this is back before, you know, they weren't shimming the cams or doing anything like that, right? So it was like, uh, it was like you you adjust the you adjust the timing on the bow by tightening your limb bolts and measuring the tiller, you know, at the, but between the limb pocket and the string at the top and the limb pocket and the string at the bottom, you want those dimensions about the same. It was real weird back then, right? So he said, man, this is as close as I could get it. He gave it to me, man, I practice all the time. Practice, practice, practice. And I had gotten some arrows made there. I shot so much that like by the time first came i only had like five five arrows that had veins on or back then i was shooting feathers i wore the feathers off and lost arrows and all of this stuff i was like man can i hunt with like five arrows or whatever so anyhow um i had to go i had gone scouting on my club property right and uh nobody in my club bow hunted i knew one or two guys that had bows but they never talked about bow hunting so I go, uh, I'm doing some scouting. October 1st comes. I bought a tree stand, a climbing stand. I go in this one spot, I scouted. I was so stupid. I, I had to, I got up the tree and I hadn't adjusted the stand right. So I was leaning way down. Once I got up in the tree, I was like, man, this feels like I'm going to fall out of here. And then, so I didn't see anything. So that went that day. I go back a week later. I say, I'm going to try this other spot I scouted. And, you know, honestly, these woods that I, I always hunted in November, they look completely different in October with all the green. vegetation. That's right. A lot, a lot of green. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fully familiar. Like from like grouse hunting, we start in September and there's a lot of leaves. Like mm. you only hear them. And then it's not right. until October when them leaves drop that you start seeing them. So I, I know exactly what, like a lot of leaves, it looks completely different completely different right and then keep in mind i'd only hunted like with with like drives right dog drives so usually i was a perimeter guy especially when you're 15 16 17 18 you're a perimeter guy you're not you're not the guy guiding the dogs and running the dogs and so forth because they respond to a certain person more than than everybody else so anyway uh it, it was kind of difficult to navigate the, the woods because I'd always been a perimeter guy. You go down a trail and when you get to a big oak tree, you walk into the woods, you know, 50 yards and that's where you are on that ridge point, you know, or what have you. And so anyway, I get there the second time bow hunting and I climb a spot, climb a tree in a spot I had picked out just a trail, you know, and I had seen some, some deer sign there. So I'm sitting there maybe an hour and here comes a, a doe and a, and, a, and a fawn. And I was like, oh my God, there's a deer, right? And I ended up killing that deer. I'll make the story short, but 
I shot that doe and I, I debated about it because I was like, well, that's a, that's a fawn with her. It's like, should I shoot this mother? Should I not? Right. And, uh, and I, when I saw the fawn grazing, you know, or browsing or what have you, I was like, well, it, it, she appears to be weaned, you know, so I, right, I think she right. can survive w- w- without the mother. So anyway, I shot that doe, didn't get much of a blood trail, man. I looked and looked and looked for this deer. And I, I, I just, I just, in my mind, I'm thinking, where, where do I think this deer went? So I go downhill, get to like a, a creek bottom. And then I'm following this, you know, the, the bottom of this ravine, right, for a while. And I finally say, you know what, I don't, I don't think this is going to happen. I'm going to go back to the truck. And then something said, well, Dan, just go 50 more yards. Man, I walked 10 yards and there she was laying there. I was like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe this. Wow. And, and I was like, well, now I got to get her out of here. You know, and I was by myself because I had no, I, nobody bow hunted. So I was there sure, by myself. Sure. And uh, anyway... But I was hooked then. I was like, man, I've only been bow hunting twice and killed a deer. It's like, this is the way to go. And uh, so eventually, all the guys in my club, they hear about this, and they they would call me Junior, right? They say, man, Junior killed a deer back in October, you know, blah, blah, blah. So now they were like, well, we don't want you to be just a perimeter guy. We want you to put all the perimeter guys in the right spot because now you have (laughs) – it's like I it's like I graduated <laughs> to a different level to be able to I was like the guide, you know, I was basically the sure. hunting guide for our club. And so I was like, man, this is this is what a turn this is taking, you know, when I was a, a little kid, just, you know, nose running, couldn't keep still, and now all of a sudden I'm guiding all these guys to make sure they're in the right spot. And uh but I, I found out my passion was still just archery because I enjoyed how quiet, how calm the woods were. You know, I mean, I enjoyed the dogs. Don't get me wrong. The dogs and the firearms going off. But it's something special about just watching the woods wake up, hearing the animals get busy, the birds, the squirrels. And then even if you don't see an animal, just the solitude that that really just just resonated with me. And I feel like it takes it's a special like it takes a certain kind of person for like to really be able to enjoy that solitude. Like I'm too antsy. I'm too fidgety. Like to sit in a tree stand, like my mind just goes like to work instantly. And like, I can't stop mm-hmm. thinking about work. Whereas like when I'm chasing my dog around the woods or something like that, all I focus on is her. I just focus on the hunt and I forget about everything. Or when I'm in my kayak fishing, same thing. Like I'm able to just dial in and focus on the task at hand. Like, and that's where I really get my stress relief from. But there's something with like sitting in a tree stand where it's like, I can't shut my brain off and just focus on like, and just slow it down and just focus on like the squirrel or like the sun coming. Like I love a sunrise in the woods. Don't get me wrong. But like after that turns goes from that magical orange to like the sun's up, it's like, it's different. Man, gotta, yeah. It's different. Now I'm back like into work mode thinking about things I got to do. I'm like, I just can't shut that off. So like it's, it, it takes a special kind of person to really be able to enjoy that solitude. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, you're 100% right. And the other part about the sunrise and sunset is like, those are like the golden hour, right? So you're heightened with anticipation, your senses on high alert. And then all that time in between, you know, d- d- dawn and dusk, you're like, eh, you know, let me get my phone out. Let me, you know, it, it, it changes in a heartbeat, you know. The only time it doesn't, it isn't that way is during the rut. Then, then I can, you know, stay a little more energized, a little more focused. But that's that's still exhausting at that point. What time? So you're mainly hunting Texas now. You said right? I believe is that is your well. I I live in Texas. I live in Texas. So so I moved at one point. I moved from Mississippi to Pennsylvania, right? And I lived in Pennsylvania for a few years, and I bow hunted there. You know public land in Pennsylvania was a little different. Mississippi didn't have a lot of public land, just some, but anyway, uh, so I hunted there a few years. Then I moved to Texas about 20 years ago and, and Texas is full of private, right? And right. so when I, when I moved to Texas, it was like, guys were telling me, oh yeah, I got a lease and I paid this and that. And I was like, you pay how much? 
you know, I was like, are you insane? I was like, I paid for a lease, you know, in Mississippi, but it was like, you know, you can give the farmer or the landowner like 500 bucks and three deer and you're splitting that between 10 guys, you know? So it's like, sure. You know, I, I'm not taking out a second mortgage to, to, you know, hunt, hunt, hunt a lease in Texas. Right. So, you know, life kind of went a little different direction for me for a little while. You know, I was raising a family and all this stuff. And eventually I decided, you know what? I got I got to break down and start hunting again, you know. So I took about, you know, maybe 15 years off as my All kids right. were growing up and getting them to college. And uh anyway, as soon as as soon as they got on their on their own pretty much, and I didn't have to take them to ball games or coach or do any of this stuff, I was like back in the woods, right back into it. And then so I, I bit the bullet and I got a lease in Texas, right? And then I met I, I had a friend that got married and he he married into a family that had some land in Oklahoma. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Dallas area, but Oklahoma is like about 50, 50 minutes away, 45, 50 All minutes right. away. And I, okay. I can be in Oklahoma. So they lived in Oklahoma. So the last maybe two, three years, I've hunted exclusively in Oklahoma. So I, I was hunting both for a while, Texas and Oklahoma. But now I just hunt exclusively in Oklahoma because there's not a lot of places around Dallas. And so I would have sure. to drive, you know, three hours away to go hunting. And it's like, if, if I'm going to go that far for, you know, I'm going to make a whole weekend of it. Right. So I would go and do that. And I was like, man, by the time I do that, I could drive an hour and a half to Oklahoma, even with the out of the non-resident tags or or license i come out even i was like yeah i'll just do that right and it was Makes less sense. pressure more animals you know better property all of this so now i kind of pretty much exclusively hunt oklahoma when i'm not now I, i'll go hunt with some friends in texas don't get me wrong i've owned sure. last year was the first year i didn't have a texas license in like the last maybe five or six years uh, or if I, uh, we have draw hunts in Texas, I'll do those. Um, I, I, I went to, uh, actually I went to Colorado last year on a mule deer hunt. Um, nice. a couple of years back I did antelope in Colorado, Colorado. So, I mean, I don't hunt just whitetail in Oklahoma, but, but that's primarily what I do. So when is the rut in Oklahoma then? That's the whole reason why I said like, so you're in Texas. I was curious to when the rut where it like starts because we were talking about the rut. Yeah. You know, it's it's weird, right? I would say the rut there is peak rut is late October, like the last week of October to me. You know, that's when I All see right. most of the rut activity. But believe it or not, I shot my I shot my buck last year this past year on october 1st <laughs> and opening day and uh and that buck came in i had no knowledge of this buck and there were some does i was hunting a spot pretty much I almost guaranteed to see a doe there right i was just hey let's get some meat in the freezer let's knock the rust off and get, sure. get going right so um so i um I go to this spot and uh, those are coming in. I'm totally prepared to take one of these does. And then they're starting back and kind of funny. They're looking back behind them, and here comes a buck, right? And this buck, he, he kind of had pre rut behavior. And I was like, man, this is October 1st. You know, and the does were like squeamish about them. And then one goes over and lays some scent down, and he goes over and checks that. And I was like, this is October 1st. Am I seeing this right? You know? And eventually I got a shot on him and took the shot. That's awesome. I mean, so how what was the feeling of taking like your I mean, I guess how many buck I don't know how many buck tags you get. So like for me, I get one for archery in Wisconsin. I get I get one buck. That's it when it comes to archery in Wisconsin. So I've never had, I've never taken my buck on the first day of hunting. And I don't know how I would feel about that, to be honest. Yeah. 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 
honestly, I wasn't crazy about it, and I tried to pass, right? I, I, I gave myself every reason to pass until I got a really good look at him. And I was like, man, this is a decent deer. So anyway, I get with archery in Oklahoma, I get two bucks, right? All right. Two bucks and four does. So Texas, it wasn't like it wasn't like your season was over then. Like you don't no, shoot that no, buck and no. it's like, man, I got nothing to chase in October. Like I got nothing to chase in the rut now. Like this, like that's where my mind would go. Like, and I wouldn't pass a shooter the first day. Don't get like I wouldn't do it. But like right. I'm happy I got a bird dog though. I could go chase bird. Like I got backup plans, but if my first my right. first prime thing was archery, and that's what drove me, man, I'd have a hard time doing it. Cause what do I do the rest of the year? I know, I know, right? Yeah. And uh fortunately for me on this property, you know, I probably need to take some does, right? We need to I'm not the only one that hunts there, the family hunts there. And we probably need to take some does. So I didn't feel like my season was over. And particularly because I had another tag in my pocket, right? I had another sure, buck sure. tag in my pocket. I, I felt I felt okay about it. Now, in Texas, you know, in most places in Texas, it's a little bit different. You get you get two bucks, but only one can be. Uh, I mean, one has to be greater than uh, uh, a thirteen or fourteen inch spread, right? Inside okay. spread, and it has to have you know, branched antlers, right? So you kind of, I, I kind of look at it like you kind of get a spike and you get a big buck. You get a big buck and you get a, a spike, right? Uh, and so, can you take most two big ones? Texas. No, in you, Texas, get, can you, you can't get you can't get two big ones unless they're in, okay. in most most cases unless they're in different counties. Got it. Okay. Okay. So if you have a lease, unless your lease is on the county line, you know, and it straddles the county line, then you're probably going to get one buck. So, some of the counties, especially down South Texas, you may get two bucks or three bucks. It just depends, right, on the, on the, what, how the game biologist set up the, the tags for that area. But at any rate, so I'd always been, like you're saying, very skeptical about taking that buck early because you can miss out. Although in Texas, Texas has a long firearm season too, though. Oklahoma has a short right. firearm season. So that's another reason I prefer Oklahoma. Then I'm prob probably giving this away and now we're going to get all kind of pressure in Oklahoma. But anyway, <laughs> te te Texas, Texas has a long firearm season. This, I mean, people like bow hunting here, but if you say the first Saturday in November is firearm and it goes to the first Saturday in January, that's a long time for firearm, you know. That's a very long season. Right, right. And then so, you know, the whole reason I got into archery, if you go back, was because I was going to get this early opportunity. It was going to be early and often. And then, you know, up until mid to late November, and now you, you come to Texas and Texas is almost the opposite. You, I mean, you get that first first of November to the first. Uh, you get five weeks. It's actually five weeks before uh, for archery season, archery only. And then you can keep going, but you're gonna have firearms everywhere, right? So it's a little Got bit it. different. That's why I prefer Oklahoma now. That makes sense. And Wisconsin, we have a pretty big archery season. So it starts. I think it's the second to last Saturday ish in September. It starts late September. And it's archery. There's a youth hunt in there, which is a like a, I think it's a three day or two or four day youth hunt. I don't remember how much it is. Which they're allowed to use a rifle. But other than that, it's basically end of September all the way through that first Saturday before Thanksgiving is archery only. There is no firearm season. But after you get to that opening a gun season for us. Depending on where you are, I mean, it could basically be a gun season all the way then until January 1st. Like mm. if you're in a metro area with all those other doe hunts and everything else, there's little tiny blocks here and there which are closed and you go back to archery only. But for the most part, you, you pretty much go through a gun season then from the end of November through the end of December. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing, like you can still use your archery tag, but you have to wear blaze, meet blaze orange requirements, but you can still archery yeah. hunt. We don't close it. The cool thing though, like if you, we've got public land and like by our metro areas 
and our metro areas go through like the end of January. Like once the gun closes at the, like that December 31st, January wow. 1st, our metro goes until like January 31st. Wow. So we get a whole nother, like the whole, only in metro areas, only in like yeah. metropolitan, like, and like, but with some of how those lines are, like it gets farmland. Like it's not like mm-hmm. you're not hunting in the city anymore. Like those metro lines push far enough out that it's farmland, and you can hunt if yeah. the weather's good. You can hunt the whole month of January with your bow still. Wow. Yeah. Here, here in Texas and Oklahoma, about mid January, January fifteenth, around there, the archery season ends. There, there's a late, there's a late archery season, or it goes through January fifteenth, and that ends. There's also in Texas, there's a late youth season that's uh like the the after the first week of January, you get about two more weeks to mid January and that's youth only. Uh, unless you, unless, and actually it tur- you can still hunt uh, with your bow, but it's spikes and does only at that point in Texas, Oklahoma is, you know, no archery restriction. I mean, no antler restrictions, October 1st, to January 15th. Same. We don't have any, well, the only antler restriction we has if it's if it's less than three inches, it's considered antlerless. That's our only restriction. Yeah, yeah, we we have that in Oklahoma too. Yeah, if it's I think it's two or three inches. If it's under that, it's considered antlerless. Right. Yep. So that's the only restriction we have. But I'll be honest, I think I can think of maybe a couple of times I've ever sat in January. It's pretty. It can be pretty darn cold up here in January, and when, it, when it's got a high of zero <laughs> degrees. That is not nearly active enough for me to sit there with a bow, like right, zero right. degrees and windy. Absolutely. No, no. Like yeah. I'll go ice fishing then and sit in my shanty with a heater. Yeah. Yeah. As much as, as it's funny you say that as much as I love the fall and archery hunting and deer hunting, man, I, I do not like the cold. If, if I I'll go and when it's cold, I'll go when it's raining, that, that won't bother me, but. This year, I did appreciate that October first kill, you know, because I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have to deal with any bad weather. You know, I can become a fair weather hunter once that happens, you know. But ironically, we, we I think I shot, I shot a buck on October first, and I shot a doe on October twenty second, and it was eighty five degrees on both days. I was like, man, it, it, it was, it was well into November before we got, you know, below, below say 65 is a high sure and like to me that's like those temperatures in october are crazy i mean but my october can be so hit or miss so i do a grouse camp pretty much consistently the third weekend of october maybe it's a weekend before maybe it's a weekend but pretty much over the past 12 years now it's been pretty much that same weekend i've had everything from mid 80s and sunny and just like holy cow it's hot to highs in the teens, lows in the single digits in snow. Like the roller coaster is out of control. Like, like, and I never realized it, like growing up, I never realized how up and down it is. But when you start having an event the same time every year and you start thinking back and you're like, man, we had blizzard conditions one year. Like we're out there right. duck hunting and it's blizzard conditions. You can't see 10 yards in front of you. And all of a sudden, walk, like ducks splash down in front of you. You're like, what? <laughs> And it's so cold, right? We shot one and it's so cold. I've got my lab wrapped up in my jacket because he's shivering. He can't stay warm. And like, he's like, bird. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, stay. I wouldn't even let him retrieve it. I went and walked out there myself because there's no way I was getting him wet for one bird. It was so cold. The next year, the very next year, it was in the 80s. Oh my God. Same time of the year? Same time of the year, same weekend. That was the second weekend of October, both year, both times, back-to-back years. And the other, like, it was so crazy. It blew my mind. So where we were that first year, our water table super low. So one of, like, the flowages we were hunting, we were standing what is technically 15 feet underwater. We were, like, back down to the river channel. Mm. So we've got, like, we're super, like, 10 to 15 feet below on this flowage. Blizzard conditions. The very next year, 80s, and that flowage is totally over full, and we're hunting on shore in four feet of water. Like wow, so crazy. It was like it was like black, it was like black and white, like yin and yang. It was just like completely opposites. Like it's like yeah, I, I, 
like thinking about it then, like we, it blew our mind, but looking back now, I've never seen such a drastic change between two years at the same weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know what you're talking about duck hunting. I, I bought a shotgun. Let's see. What's this? 23. Now I bought a shotgun, a new shotgun in 21. And I told myself, man, I'm gonna go duck hunting. I'm gonna go bird hunting. I'm gonna do, do all of this stuff. And, Honestly, that year was a bad year for ducks. I think that was the year we had, it was pretty warm and the ducks didn't really push down that much that year. But anyway, I I told myself I was going to start duck hunting. I just want to do a little bit. I don't want to, I don't need another like, (laughs) like hobby that I'm, I I have this obsessive compulsive personality. I don't need to get that deep. I just want to get in the water, go once, twice, get a couple ducks and I'm, I'm good. You know? Sure, sure. I, I get that. I mean, it's a rabbit hole. Like you start going down yeah, those right. rabbit holes, and I, I did that. I did that like three years ago because I was bored in the winter time. Let's try predator hunting. Holy cow! Now I've got thermal. I've got <laughs> night vision. It's like, what right, am I right. doing? I don't need another hobby that costs thousands of dollars. Like this is crazy. Like you got to narrow. Yeah, like yeah. you got to you got to shrink your window. Like you gotta, like you gotta focus yeah, if, here, Brad. If if I if I had that many hobbies, I wouldn't be able to afford a divorce, you know, because <laughs> my my wife is gonna surely leave me. I wouldn't be able to afford that. I have all my money tied up in the hobbies. Just don't tell her what you paid, right? You're right. <laughs> don't right, let her, don't right. don't let her sell it for what you told her you paid. That's right. <laughs> uh, so for archery, I know like that's re- so. Did you ever dabble like in traditional archery? Or are you a compound bow kind of guy? I'm just curious, like, like where's where's your because like, archery's been your passion and you wanted to get into those woods. Could you ever like think like I want to try a longbow or a recurve? Or have you been a compound bow, bow guy the main mainly? I've been a compound guy the whole time, right? But I feel right. like I feel like I really do want to try a recurve, and I don't know. I it, it seems like. I feel like I haven't graduated to that to that yet, only because, and I don't know, I may be going the wrong direction, because I still, you know, I still want to kill a couple of big game animals, you know, I still want to go get a mule deer, still want to get an elk, you know, and I feel like I don't need the pressure of trying to learn to shoot a recurve and then still have those kind of on my list to to hang on the wall, you know. So I, I've been strictly a, a compound guy, and then. You know, of course, all, all of archery is a rabbit hole, too. You know, oh, yeah. I, I started tinkering and I got a bow press and doing all this stuff. And, you know, I, I've always made, I've always, you know, fletched my own arrows and everything. Every, ever since that first year when I went to the woods, and I had like four or five arrows. Ever since then, I went back to the bow shop. And I was like, hey, I need some more arrows. And they're like, well, it's going to take, you know, four weeks to get them. I was like, four weeks. I was like. The guy did them in like 20 minutes or something last time. He's like, yeah, we got got all these orders. So from that point on, after the very first year, I started fletching my own arrows just because like I can't be beholden to this. Anyway, over all the years, now I'm doing some of my own, most of my own tuning, uh, my string changes, all of that stuff. It's it's, And I think that's, that's what I like about it. You know, even in the off season, you get these, cerebral aspects that kind of drive you know the my nature which is kind of that of an engineer i think i told you i was an engineer uh by schooling uh there's always something to tweak with you know and sure all all the hunting can be that way you know you can be reloading you can be you'll be doing all kinds of stuff right you can be training dogs in off season right whatever that is you could just an endless rabbit hole right but i but for the most part, I've been a compound guy. All right. So what was it like starting to take on, like, how did you get into tuning? Like, like you splutching arrows. I know a lot of guys do that, but a lot of guys don't make that step into buying a bow press and learning how to tune a bow. I don't know how. I've never used a bow press in my life. The club I used to shoot at had one. I'm like, I don't know how to use this thing. So I never did. Like, I never taught myself. Yeah. It was like, eh, eh. Like, I'm sure I can figure it out. I just never did. So, like, what made you drive to that step? Was it just, like, that a, a pursuit of trying to have perfection on your bow? Or is it the engineer and you just, like, I want to break this apart and learn it? Well, I 
a little bit of both. Here's what here's what really drove me that, that way though, right? So I have a friend who um, he was he was actually one of my kind of first sponsors, right? He uh, he owned a arch he ran an archery team, owned an archery team in an archery supply house, and he was my bow tech, right? And uh, okay. I would take I would take him my bow, and he'd say, "All right, man, just leave it with me, and uh, I'll get it to you in a couple of weeks." And I'm thinking, a couple of weeks, man. When I go to the bow shop, you can you know pill around and look around the shop, and a half hour later, the guy's giving your bow back. What? Why do you need it so long? He's like, "Well, I'm gonna give it the white glove treatment." I was like, "What's what? What are you talking about?" So, man, this guy, he'd do all this walk back tuning, all of this stuff. He'd shoot it a, a lot and, you know, get familiar with it and tweak it and make it, man. And when he gave it back to me, he was right. It was absolutely, like, perfect. And I was like, wow. I was like, I never get this from the bow shop, right? Sure. So I said, uh, I was like, but my buddy Troy, he's not going to always be available. I mean, he he works. He has a couple businesses you know he shoots you know all, all this other stuff i was like i think the only way i can do this is if i start doing it myself then i'm not beholden to the backlog at the bow shop the guy rushing to get my you know get on to the next customer and any of that right i'm not beholden to troy being tied up with all his endeavors the only sure, way I can sure. do this is if I, if I started doing it myself. And ironically, he actually taught a bow technician class. So I took right. his class and uh, th then I got a bow press. Then I uh, worked up the, the courage to, to work on my own bow because it's still like, man, my bow's under warranty. I don't want to tear this thing up or do something wrong. So I bought an old bow, an older bow. And I said, well, I don't care if I mess this up, but I didn't mess it up. So, you know, YouTube calling Troy. Hey, Troy, how do you do this? Call another couple of technician friends I have. And before you know it, I was working on it myself. And I'm like, man, I can do it anytime. I'm, it's like, oh, man, that peeps not quite right. Let me put it in the press, move this peep around and, you know, sure. and, and then just go from there. Makes sense. Like that, like that seems like a really like easy, like. It's nice that the buddy that tuned your bow for you is like, hey, I also offer a class. Right, right. I mean, he, he taught he taught this class to like technicians at big box stores. He'd go around the country. Okay. He was teaching through COVID. I think he would he would have people take COVID tests and and they come in town take COVID tests and he might do small size classes. He that was a really you know major part of his business model. And he was great. It was a great class. I I take it again just to make just like a refresher, you know. But sure. uh, he's still he's still around. And I, I every now and then I'll give him a call and say, "Hey, I got this problem. What do you think it is?" He's like, "Ah, before you start shimming it, try this," you know. And then I was like, "Okay, sure. you know." That's awesome. That is. That's a good way to get into it when you got like someone like that support. I mean, that's completely different than trying to like learn off a of YouTube or something like that. Having a mentor right in any in any of the outdoor stuff like this really is huge to me. Like I do a lot with mentoring new hunters for bird hunting and things like that. And being able to like cut that learning curve down so they get excited and want to follow like and be there more and be out there and be present is such a huge thing. And YouTube's great and there's a ton of informational videos out there. But having that mentor or like taking a class, like that's like a different type of experience. Right. Especially because it's hands on. Right. He had right. He had bow presses at the class. He had some, you know, some some bows that we could practice. We were working with in teams like, you know, everybody in this class had a partner. So two 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 people go over there. You're going to press this bow. You're going to pop an axle out, whatever you're going to do to it. You know, I want you to put some twist in the string see how it how the bow responds after that twist it back you know we were doing all of that stuff in the class well, that's cool yeah it, it was like it was like great so it wasn't like you're just watch youtube and then you're in your shop and you're working on it and then you don't know if you did something right or you know or or, or whatever you're going to get yourself into and can't can't get out of it you know ruin a, a nice bow or something like that so 
it was great having him around to to help me with that. That's awesome. Like it's always interested me. And at, at some point, if I ever get back into archery hunting, which might be sooner than later, we'll find like all my listeners know this, but I rescued my dog at six years old. She's we've done a lot with her. She's a great bird dog, but she's still dog aggressive. So I'm not bringing mm. another dog into my household because she is aggressive towards other dogs. So she's 11 now. And depending on how she goes, there might be a couple of years where she's retired and no longer can really hunt to the level I want her to. Mm-hmm. But I can't get another another dog because it's not fair to her. Like, I'm not going to put her in that stressful situation. So I think that's kind of will be that transition for me is if I wind up with her needing to be retired can't really bring another dog. And I think that's probably when I'll get back into archery. Cause at that point, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to feel guilty for sitting in a tree stand. Cause I feel guilty. Like I feel guilty because yeah. I should be out running my dog. <laughs> so I feel like that's going to be the point. Like if I'm ever going to get back into archery, I think that's going to be the, that's going to be that window, that time frame, And that's where I really do want to learn like how a compound bow works. Like, like what is like, like how to actually make it run right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll say this about that too. You know, when I started tinkering with with uh, being a bow tech, uh, and I, I don't really consider myself a bow tech. I just I'm my own bow tech. I I don't really I don't set up bows for people. I, I did it for a cousin, but that's because he was my cousin. But you know, sure. somebody just needed me to take a look at something, make you know, tie a peep or you know, do some stuff like that. That's one thing. But anyway. Uh, where I, where I was going is the um, the thing about it now is there's some technology in some of these bows where you you don't have to know a lot you know you can just follow the instructions from the manufacturer and you're going to be able to make that bow shoot better than you would have say you know five years ago six years ago the bows are already different with some of the technology that's in them, you know? Uh, and it's sometimes I say to myself, well, why do I have this bow press again? Because, because the bows, you can make them shoot sometimes without, without a bow press. You can make them shoot well without a bow press. There are a few things you still need don't get me wrong, but, but, you know, the guy, average guy in his backyard, if he's got the right bow and the guy at the shop rushed him out of there and set him up and he thinks he's not quite shooting right. You can, you can do a lot with some of these bows in your backyard that's awesome that like that's really it's 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 crazy to hear it's coming that like that far along where it's more user-friendly to work on them and it's not so i'm gonna blow this thing up and hurt myself if i do the right if i turn the wrong screw which i'm sure if you turn the wrong screw still you probably can do something dumb to yourself of course you still (laughs) you still could but they, they come a long way to make it easier for the for the end user to take care of some of the things themselves well, I know looking at some, like, it's, it seems like you can just, you can change your own draw length now. Like before, I, that used to be a huge deal with changing cams and other things or, and not like some of the ones that I feel like, unless if I'm completely up, like wrong, but it seems like some of them you're able to just adjust without a bow press now. That's right. That's right. You can, you can adjust draw lengths without a bow press. You can adjust poundage without a bow press. You can, uh. I, th- I think some of the, some of the new bows you can kind of sort of shim them without a bow press. I know the the bow I shoot you can uh, you can you can change the the cam angles you know with the limb pocket adjustments. You can uh, uh, another manufacturer they have a, a crank basically a, a drive shaft on the um, on the axle of the cam. You can move the cam without a bow press. I mean, you can do you can do a lot. You know, only thing you need a boat press for is like maybe to change the string or make a really gross adjustment. If you if it's just to tweak, a lot of stuff you can do without a boat press. But anyway, you just you just need it really to tie a peep or change the strings or some of that. Sure, that's that's really cool to hear that it's coming that far. It's really that I mean that just open. I mean that just opens up more for the people that want to try to do things themselves and learn themselves. Right, right. Or for somebody, you may, maybe you don't necessarily want to learn it yourself, but the closest bow shop is, you know, two or three hours away, you know, or right. something like that, you know. Or you might be in the back country on a hunt and you fall 
and something seems a little off and you can you may be able to get it back close just by doing some adjustments in the field you know sure or i know there's plenty of people out there on a budget and they can't afford whatever a bow shop is now 60 bucks 100 bucks an hour labor's not cheap where if they can do it themselves and learn and do it do it right with a little bit less risk. I mean, that's, that opens up, that just provides archery to more people then. That's right. That's right. Well, we're right about that hour mark, Dan. I think, we're, I think like that's really, I think it's been a great show. It's really been great having you on. Um, I got, I know through, I met you through Brian Schiller and part of Pine Ridge archery. That's and right. with that, I, Brian texted me while we're in the show, and if I looked a little distracted, that was why. Pine Ridge Archery is willing to, wait, willing to give away a quick stand to the listeners on this episode. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great product. I, I, I have two quick stands. <laughs> I try to get a quick stand for every bow. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that's that's a, great, a great little tool. Yeah. So, see if I can make this work. There we go. So there's for the guy for the ones watching on Facebook or YouTube, showing a picture of it right now. It's a very cool stand. I'm sure Dan can explain it better than I can. If you want to, for the ones that are listening. Yeah. So so basically, you clip this this stand this uh, device onto your lower limb on your bow, and then it allows you to do one of two things. You can you can lean your bow back on the cam, and this kind of is like a like a like a kickstand on a bicycle right they call it a quick stand and then or if you have a long stabilizer long enough stabilizer on the front you can tilt your bow forward and kind of prop it up with this stand and the stabilizer to kind of sit your bow up while you're going to retrieve arrows from a target or actually i use it a lot for that and i use it um i use it in the blind sometimes i hunt in the ground blind and you can have the bow sitting on the ground uh, using this stand and the, the great thing about the Pine Ridge uh, quick stand is I don't know if you can tell those two slots that looks like a slotted screw in there uh, at almost at the top you can adjust the width between those two jaws at the top depending on how wide your limbs are on your bow and All then right. also there's a torus on the legs there's a like a diagonal slot there with the screw you can adjust the length of the the stand legs to fit you know kind of the geometry of your bow and like i was saying whether you had a front stabilizer or whatever however you want to set the bow up you can adjust those legs to give you the right you know the right angle so the bow is stable when you set it up so this this has more adjustability than uh, a lot of uh, stands uh, on the market like this that's awesome and and it's you just super easy to take on and off obviously because it just slips over like slips around that lower limb i mean i'm, I'm i mean second sec one and a half second maybe to pick it i mean it looks like right like, right yeah those those jaws are kind of spring closed you they you can uh get them close the legs together to a point where it holds the jaws open but then there's a little bit of spring tension once you get it back on the limb you kind of start opening those legs up and then it'll kind of snap around not snap, but, you know, kind of move around and and clip on to the limbs. The, the other good thing about Pine Ridge is they offer this in like, oh, man, it's like it's like a Crayola crayon box of color options that you can sure. get this thing in, you know. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah all I kinds of that. colors. So right, right. And, and the winner. Comes, I, think, I think the body can come in uh, white as well. I think they have the white plus all those. Those leg colors. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yep, white with different limb colors. So the winner, in order to be eligible, you got to go on Instagram and follow Pine Ridge Archery, which is Pine Ridge Archer. We'll put a link in the description. You have to follow Paddle and Finn on Instagram, which is Paddle, the letter N and Finn. And then you're going to have to leave a comment. And Dan, I'm going to let you pick what the word they got to comment. So, Okay. Uh, the, the, the word they need to comment is... Uh, bow hunting for life bow hunting for life it is so the winner will be selected um 
in two weeks from now, today is the is March 8th. So we are going to select the winner on the Friday before my next episode airs. So we will select the winner on March 17th of 2023. And we're going to announce it on my show that airs on March 18th of 2023. So you get two weeks to, to listen to my episode and get signed up. And the winner gets to pick their caller as well. Yeah, I'm sure whoever wins will be really happy with uh, with the quick stand. So I thought that was kind of exciting and kind of nice of Pine Ridge, um, Pine Ridge Archery to offer that for this show. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I love that product. I use it you know, in practice, use it in my bow shop, and, and use it in the woods. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Dan, I'm going to give these next couple minutes to you and let you – Thank everybody you want to thank, direct everyone to the social media you want to share and give this a little bit, give you time to talk. All right. Great. I want to thank, uh, I want to thank Pine Ridge Archery for um, connecting us together. This has been a great show. I want to thank you, Brad, for having me on. Um, I'd be glad to talk about more hunting anytime. And uh, I, I may, uh, may take you up on some duck hunting at some point. And um you can follow me at on Instagram. My handle is straight way outdoors. That's all one word. And then on uh, Twitter is straight S T R the number eight way outdoors. And then uh, it's just Dan course on, on Facebook, but I'm most, most active on uh, Instagram. Sure. I feel like most people have kind of, kind of went to the Instagram. It's a little, it's, it's an it's it's a really great platform just to share pictures and try to stay out of the weeds of the politics of everything else of the other platforms. That's why I like Instagram. I can just browse pictures. I don't even have to read. It's like coloring book. Yeah, some guys at work were just asking me today if I was on Facebook or social media. I was like, I'm on there. Yeah, yeah, I do a lot, but I really like Instagram a lot more. But anyway, it's it's whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and. For the listeners out there, I will share all of those links in the description. Make sure to go give Dan a follow. He's, he's got some really great content out there, and you can follow along what he's got going on throughout the year. Yep, and if you ever have any questions about archery, bow hunting, or anything I'm talking about, posting about, just send me a message or whatever. Just drop a line. I'd be glad to chat about I love chatting, hunting, and fishing all, all the time. It's weird. It's a weird obsession, as my 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 wife calls it an obsession. I don't, I just think I think it's a very I think it's a very good mental space. It's not an obsession. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a way of life now. You know, it's it's not, you know my my wife gives me a hard time. She's like, all you do is think about hunting. It's like, well, not not really, but you know, I think about it, but that's not all I think about. It's just one one of the things uh, you know I just like. It's just who I am. Right. I mean, it's not all I think about. I do think about work when I'm at work, but I think about hunting a lot. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, Dan, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in. And until next time, everyone, keep chasing that experience. Mm-hmm.